Hey everyone, this is Nick. Just a quick warning before we get started that in this episode we talk about the movie Spotlight. And so naturally, discussions about child sex abuse comes up, especially related to church settings. And we just wanted to give you a warning in case that's something that you're not comfortable listening to. Thanks. Welcome back to Post-Mormon at the Movies, everyone. This is Nick. And this is Dan. And Dan, we have a special episode ahead of us. We have a special guest, someone who I think will be really interesting to listeners of this podcast because of their connection to a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast, because uh, this person officiated your wedding. And that's their their big claim to fame. <laughs> uh, I, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, maybe. I mean, well, Dan, why don't you introduce our guest? Sure, sure. So, well, um, so we're, we have Sam Young on the show. So welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to us. So uh, I guess I first met Sam back in Houston um, when I was very, you know, in my early stages of kind of my faith transition or starting to think about, uh, you know, my relationship to the church. And Sam was hosting these groups called Talkerias. T-A-L-K, like talk areas, because we talk at them, but also it's kind of a play on words with a talk area, which is a place that sells tacos. I, I assume that's what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically just a safe, open space where people in in that kind of in-between space could go and just uh, talk. And so one day, it was kind of a rainy Sunday afternoon, we showed up at Sam's office where we were, had a good discussion. And, and then as Nick mentioned, uh, Sam officiated at our wedding, uh, which was a great honor for us. So again, thanks for that. Um, and Nick was at my wedding too. So yeah, my, also my claim to fame. I <laughs> also your wedding. Fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so um, I just want to tell Dan something that I don't think I've ever told him. Okay. So at one point, at some point in time, you reached out to me and said you and your wife wanted to, um, would like to take me out to lunch, I think. Uh-huh. And I'm, and I was rather nervous about that. Um, I didn't know what it was, why in the world you're taking me out to lunch. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then you, it was, I, I, there's no way I anticipated you were going to ask me to perform your wedding, but I was just delighted and shocked at that. But I was a little bit nervous. What is going on here? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a rough choice for us because it was like, you know, we had just first broken news to our families about, you know, everything that was going on. And we didn't really want, you know, a traditional LDS ceremony in the temple or out. But we're like, who who are we going to get to do our wedding? We don't want a random stranger, you know. And so we we figure you were, uh, you kind of fit the bill uh, in a really good way. So, well, and that's never a consideration for active. I mean, for most active members of the church that are getting married in the temple, unless you have a family member who's a sealer or have some connection like that, you don't, I don't even remember thinking about who's going to perform it because we didn't have any of those connections. So yeah, very different. Yeah. I don't know if I really even officially met you Sam there, but a little over a year later when I was sort of in that same place as Dan, like in the beginnings of questions and, and doubts and, and whatever you want to call that, um, was at the same time when your real claim to fame in the Mormon and ex-Mormon community 
started to hit, you know, and, and so that's when I was like, I know that guy from somewhere and, and made that connection with Dan's help to, to his wedding. For our listeners who might not know, Sam Young got really, um, well, you're an activist. He, he got really involved as an activist, um, trying to help root out sexual abuse of children. But Sam, why don't you kind of, you, you've shared this before, but why don't you just kind of give kind of a brief description of how that started? And I should also say, you've talked about this a lot in, in previous years. And so what we're going to do in our episode description is put some links of some, you know, some interviews or, or some articles that kind of explain kind of your involvement in the protect LDS children and then later the protect every child movement. Um, but why don't you just kind of give us a brief overview of that? So I served as a bishop in the Mormon church from 1991 to 96, a little over five years, which is the standard term for, for a bishop. And uh, in 2016, so a ways away from being bishop, and I'd served in a ton of other high-level callings on the high council, the uh, senior member of the high council, um, the stake young men's president, um, the public affairs chairman for the stake. So along with all the other normal callings. Mm -hmm. But uh, in 2016, it was raised to my attention that there were um, the kid in the Mormon church, it's uh, a standard practice for the bishop to interview the children once, twice a year, the bishop and his counselors. It's a one-on-one meeting, just the, just the, the youth and the bishop. Well, uh, it came to my attention that um, extremely graphic questions were being asked to children. Now, we might not think this is graphic, but it is. To ask a 12-year-old girl, do you masturbate? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay. And then mm-hmm. it just goes on from there. We'll run. There, there's something that was said in the movie that I want to highlight. But I, my concern, I found it, it happened to my kids. I didn't know this happened to my own kids that they were asked sexually explicit questions. Okay, so emotions are ra- coming up in my 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 being as mm-hmm. I'm talking about this. So um, children asked if they masturbate. Uh, one of my children was asked if she had anal sex. She had never dated. What the hell? Whether they dated or not, do you ask a child a question like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it came to my attention that that was a common practice in the Mormon church and that it, that doing that, all the shame that comes along with that uh, uh, to a child uh, causes lasting, doesn't cause lasting damage for a lot of kids, but a lot of kids, it does damage right then. And things change in their life as a result of it, bad changes. And it taken the, anyway, issues that last a lifetime. So um, I started, started working on this needs to change. It seemed to me like it is a no brainer. Everybody in the world right. knows that we've now got to a point in our society, you don't take a child all alone behind closed doors, mm-hmm. unless you are a trained professional with a specific purpose. Um, you don't do that. And you certainly don't ask kids sexually explicit questions. Um, and that w- was highlighted in the movie, too, mm-hmm. about grooming. So, mm-hmm. um, so I started a kind of a started something to try to make changes there, talk to the leaders, and it eventually grew to a substantial movement that uh, after, well, 
in event. It lasted for about two and a half years, almost three years that I was mm-hmm. super active, basically took off, took away from my business um, and uh, and was, was pursuing this. A lot of good came from it. A lot of people um, were involved in helping move this cause forward. We saw some changes made. We saw lots and lots of healing and validation. Uh, and it ultimately um, resulted in me. Now, I don't know how many people know a bishop that's going to hell. Well, I'm one. I'm going to hell. The Mormon church has decreed that. They excommunicated me because I wanted to stop one-on-one interviews and sexually explicit questions. Yeah. So there's my story in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, thank you for all your work with that. I, I don't know, yeah. uh, but I, I just want to say on behalf of me and probably a lot of other people, um, we appreciate everything that you did with that. Um, thank you. Thank because you. changes there. So can we ask how, how involved you are now with the the organization or how, how is it? Because it has been a, a few years since it has been, I guess, in the general mindset. So initially it was protect LDS children. Mm-hmm. It was that for about a year and a half. Then after I was excommunicated, we um, kind of expanded it to pre- protect every child. And for a year we did a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, now at the end of 2019, I'd been away from my business for for three years. I'd spent a ton of my personal savings, retirement savings, which retirement is getting close. And the business was really floundering. And so the end of 2019, January 1st, 2020 was I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. I've got to focus on my business. I've got employees whose careers, their livelihoods um, are at stake and my wife and I, our retirement <laughs> is at stake and I've already mm-hmm. spent a ton of money. The last, that 2019, to give you a picture, we'd never lost money. It's a small company. Uh, we lost $300,000 in 2019, $300,000. I was so scared. Can I possibly turn this around or I just going to have to shut this down? Uh, the last mm-hmm. two weeks of December, 2019, I got sick. I was depressed and all I could think of was, you know what, all I I can't, I don't know how you change a business like this. I'm older in age. I don't have that young entrepreneurial, the, the go get it that, and I don't even know how do you turn a business like that around? So I was thinking, who can I call and just give the business away, but who's going to take a business? Lost $300,000 last Mm -hmm. year. Um, but dove into it uh, January 1st, and we, we've managed to turn things around. And amazingly, COVID helped us oh, turn it okay. around. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> it was so... Protect Every Child is still very active. Okay. In fact, we have a PEC week coming up the end of September. I'm not going to be there, but we have uh, some things are going to happen for a week uh, in Salt Lake um, in front of a church office building. Not a major uh, anger protest, but a a gentle, you know, here, here every day, a different topic is going to be raised to discuss, um, uh, there at uh, there in Salt Lake City. So and we do several other things, but I my involvement is is nowhere near what it was at one time. Mm -hmm. And now that I hope to retire at some point in time, Um, a goal for when that's going to happen. And my intent is to start paying a lot more attention to it at that point. 
Great. Well, we'll be sure to include, um, and you have a website, you have information where people can donate or uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll include uh, yeah. all of that in our show notes too. Okay. So people can be aware of that. It's so. very nice. Of you. So I guess um, we're here to talk about a movie and that movie is spotlight. It came out uh, a few years back, 2015. Yeah. Um, it won the Oscar for best picture that year. Um, it was kind of a, kind of a big movie and uh, I, I really enjoyed it and it's, you know, Nick and I were thinking of of having this be a movie that we wanted to do on the podcast for a while. And then about a month ago, that AP article came out for, again, for those who might not have heard, we'll include a link to that. But that kind of made big waves in the LDS and LDS adjacent communities about a, a case of child sexual abuse in Arizona and kind of the local leaders and the church helpline. And um, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that here in a minute, but we thought that this, this was probably a timely discussion to have. Yeah. I think so to like set the stage for spotlight, it came out in 2015, but was about um, the Boston Globe's investigative reporting into the Catholic church in Boston and the cover up systemically of sexual abuse by Catholic priests and sort of exposing the way in which the the church itself was directly involved in, in not just in Boston, but then sort of, it, you know, the, the end of the movie and sort of, obviously this is based on a true story exposed sort of where this was happening around the whole globe. But this, this movie really followed just like the spotlight team, which is sort of the investigative reporting unit of the Boston Globe and the reporters that were on there, all based on real people. Um, and apparently from reading the trivia and interviews and stuff, like a lot of the performances, the, the real reporters, the movies about, and like talked about how eerie it was to watch because it was both so close and sort of hmm. the, the set design and, and everything, how everything looked, but even just the performances, like Michael Keaton's character, his character, the real reporter talked a lot about how like, it was just like, if he committed a crime, they would arrest me sort of thing. Like you look look too similar, sounded too similar, acted too similar. It was just eerie. So, so uh, yeah, really good movie, really, really important movie and glad we're talking about it. I think we all saw this when it first came out. I think all of us were probably still in the church at that point. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. My faith transition has, was probably about over during 2015, but I had no idea about any of this sexual abuse stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the things I liked about the film, because there's a lot of conversations between the characters talking about, you know, being a lapsed Catholic, which I, you know, in Mormon lingo, that would be, you know, being inactive, I guess. Uh Um, And so that was interesting to see kind of from that community, kind of the way that they discuss that. I love the scene where Mark Ruffalo's character is saying, you know, like, I thought I'd go back sort mm-hmm. of, but like everything that they read and everything they had seen and heard, like there was just no way to go back. And I think that once you read these reports about the Catholic church and like see and hear all these things, like it, it colors everything, like moving forward, everyone's opinion of the Catholic church was going to be different. And that's definitely what I felt you know, uh, about a lot of things with, with the Mormon church in my experience. Maybe let's talk about some of the things that stood out the most to us. So there's a lawyer that 
was, uh, I think he was representing like 80 victims. He was a key player in player in this. Uh, and it took a while for the Mark Ruffalo's character to get his name was Garbadia to get this lawyer mm-hmm. to open up and start cooperating with them. But I was impressed one by his um, concern for the victims. Yeah, uh, he seemed to be lit. Every it seemed like everybody had a low opinion of this guy that didn't have his act together. It turned out he really had his act together, but he, mm-hmm. he had that impression in the community. But he made this statement. Oh, it gives me, um, it's, it just gave me goosebumps all down my legs as I think about this thing. He said, if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse one. <clears throat> that mm-hmm. the abuse goes on because we do not want to talk about it. We do want to brush it, not just the leaders, but those that everybody else, the whole community Mm -hmm. seems to want to, it's not something you want to talk about. And somebody said that it's probably in my notes too, that this is not a topic people like talking about. And so they'll, they'll turn away from it after all the news hits, they'll turn away from it. Um, But it's really that abuse that allow, or that the village that allows the abuse to continue on. Um, it wasn't just the Catholic priests. Um, it was a lot of other people that kind of turned a blind eye to it. It's that statement um, really resonated with me. It takes a village to raise a child. If it takes a village, raise, it takes a village to abuse one or to, to, to allow that abuse to continue. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw several examples of that with a lot of the characters throughout the film and how how that happens, not just that it happens, but it's like, oh yeah, you can kind of see how that's allowed to happen. Like we've talked about, like this is a very black and white issue, but as we're investigating sort of this report, like we had both sort of the lawyers who were were turning a blind eye because it was, you know, they kept saying like the, what their duty was to sort of the ethics of, of law and that they couldn't go further because like, even though I might want to, like the law keeps me from doing it. Or, you know, we see the people who are actively sort of covering it up, but we also see sort of in Michael Keaton's character, like that he was sent information about this decades, you know, a decade before Mm -hmm. this all started and just didn't get it yet. You know, like it wasn't, it didn't hit the way it, it needed to. And, and he sort of inadvertently, brushed it under the rug and then realized, you know, 10 years or so later as this, the movies of Vincent are unfolding, like what, what he did. And that, and I love the exchange between him and his friend, who is the lawyer that ended up confirming, you know, their list of, of priests that they had mm-hmm. like his, cause he was saying like, you were here too. Like, where were you? And he's like, I don't know. And that's sort of, I think the, the large majority of people who I think are involved with, with these sort of, cover-ups are probably more like Michael Keaton where it's like, I, I suspected I, I could have done more. I, I maybe knew more than I wanted to admit, but, but like you're saying, Sam, like this is just such a topic that is taboo and gr- gross and ugly and like scary that no one wants to talk about it. Well, I, I noted that too, this, this thing that I, which I found really interesting from a couple standpoints. First of all, early on the movie, 
um, people kept referring, I've sent you this information. You've had mm -hmm. it for years. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lawyer that had represented several victims and had made settlements with the Catholic Church. And the Michael Keaton character eventually got pretty critical of him. Of You know, you're you're allowing this abuse to keep going. Yeah. Why don't you give me the list? And he said, I sent you the list. I have already sent the list of the paper five years ago yeah. of all these priests. Were and here I'm thinking, okay, there is somebody at the paper that is on the Catholic church's side, yeah. hiding mm -hmm. all this stuff. And then when it finally came out, it was the main character that didn't intentionally hide it but he just kind of passed it over. And uh, so that was kind of a, a turn of events that I wasn't expecting, but it, it kind of highlighted where I was as a bishop and where I was before um, I found out my own kids had been sub subjected to these gross um, uh, questions, sexually ex uh, explicit questions. Mm -hmm. Anyway, where it just was out of sight, out of mind. I had never been, I didn't know. Well, I probably know a ton of people that have been sexually abused. I do know a ton of people. But back then, I didn't know anybody. It had never been a topic of discussion in my household, in our family. So it just was out of sight, out of mind. So I can remember we employed, well, there was a fellow that had moved into some ward nearby and a fellow in our ward at the company were familiar with him. And apparently he had abused a child or children and was probably going to go to jail or whatnot. Well, you know what? Uh, that kind of went in one ear and out the other that I heard this, but you can't, you kind of, I don't want to say dismiss it, but you kind of do dismiss it because you can't believe anybody would do that kind of thing. Right. So it's, you're just, and I can't go back and resurrect me being clueless but I was clueless. I think Michael Keaton, even though he was he was on some assignment, some beat for the new guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this comes in. Well, he's busy doing other stuff. So he kind of puts it to, to, to the side. And so I could relate. I was thinking I was there as a bishop of all mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And and like you said, at the end of the movie, you know, the lawyer friend is like, where were you? He's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. But the thing is, now we know better. Right. And so. Exactly. No matter where we were in the past, like you, you, he, he's doing it now. Right. Yeah. And that's, right. and that's still valuable. So, yeah. Yeah. Super valuable. Yeah. One of the most, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that being in Michael Keaton's position of like, of not acting when in hindsight, now we realize there's, you know, actions should have been taken. Another thing that, well, actually I've already done a bunch of things. You guys probably need to chime in. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll, I'll mention one thing that stood out to me a little bit, which was Ben Bradley Jr. And that's the character that was played by John Slattery. He was the one with the white hair. He was kind of one of like Michael Keaton's um, colleague or maybe like, you know, not as high up as the Lee Schreiber character, but he was like one of the managers there at the at the Boston Globe. And he, at the beginning, he didn't like this story and he didn't want it to move forward. And he mm -hmm. kept trying to squash it. And they're like, no, we, we think we have something there. And um, Mark Ruffalo's character said, no, this is a good story. And then he says, why? Why is it a good story? Because you're another lapsed Catholic pissed off at the church. You know, and so I, it, you get the vibe that he's, you know, 
Catholic and he's not really wanting to create a big scandal or create a big stir. But then throughout the movie, as they find more and more evidence, you know, he he has some journalistic integrity there to kind of say, you know what, there's there's actually something here. And so I, I enjoyed his kind of turnaround there of getting on board with the story and helping him move forward. So <clears throat> I was impressed with the new editor. So mm-hmm. when this new editor came in. Uh, Is this the Leif Schreiber? Yes. Baron yeah. character? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if it hadn't been for him, nothing would have happened. Right. How often is it that one person pushes for something? One person. And it wasn't an easy road for him. Like you said, yeah. everybody was kind of poo-pooing that story, including Michael Keaton, including the Ben Bradley guy. And Mark Ruffalo, he kind of was excited about it mm-hmm. uh, from the get-go. But still, just one person you know, pushing through um, the obstacles – and like when he uh, met with right off the bat, the uh, Cardinal, mm-hmm. I think wanted to put, put the kibosh on stuff. He wasn't having any of that. He was very polite, diplomatic, but just stayed a steady course. Mm-hmm. I think um, Mark Ruffalo, his character, which is, we'll talk probably more about him later because he's, he's portraying Mike, Michael Resendez. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who, who, is the author of the AP articles about yes. the Mormon church right now. So there's a very direct connection there, yeah. but, but I love when he talks with Stanley Tucci's character, that lawyer that like Stanley Tucci saying we're outsiders here. Like the people who, who aren't like Catholic raised in Boston, like they see the culture differently than the people who are raised in Boston and, and Catholic or lapsed Catholics. And, and so, yeah, I think the Baron coming in has just that outsider view of like, He's not, there's not a whole bunch of baggage with the Catholic church behind him. Hard to examine any, any group that you're like, that is part of your identity. And I think religion, politics, like these sort of things that like people claim as part of their identity, it's just so hard to have the self-awareness and the, like, to give yourself the space to examine critically this thing to step back is a part of you and like to step back and say, I'm going to look at this. And I think like, that's really hard for people in, in a church when there's, when there's news like this, that's very, you know, damning and critical. A lot of people just duck their heads and move on. And this movie is a great presentation of like investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like there were lots of moments where it's like very, like related a lot to like, the lengths to which you've got to go to like investigate something that, that digging deeper, a a kinship. Yeah. To that feeling of, yeah. Like digging, digging and digging and like not stopping. Like, I feel like a lot of people who are post-Mormon probably can relate to that. I think we need more investigative journalism movies because I I really like this. Yeah. Yeah. So I made a note about thank heavens for a free press. And, uh, for the investigative uh, arm that many papers, that some papers have, and that I I know that papers are struggling. It's kind of interesting. This happened in 2001, and I think it happened in 2001, and there was a reference to declining classified ads because of the internet. Well, they, I guess, 
they would have had no idea what was going to be coming at them because today the newspapers are really struggling Mm -hmm. and uh, their needs, they are a valuable part of our society that I hope doesn't completely go away. Yeah. Right. Right. I want to hear the other thing that you were about to say, Sam. So, so here's one, Uh, a, uh, pivotal character in this was Phil Saviano. Yeah. He didn't hear very, very many times, but he's, he uh, founded the organization called SNAP, Survivors Network of, I don't remember the age. Of those abused by priests. Abused by priests, yes. And they asked him how many um, members in the organization, and he said 11. Well, 11, they didn't scoff at it. The the reporter didn't scoff at it when, when he said that, but kind of you could see that that he she wasn't impressed but 11 members today that's a nationwide organization mm-hmm. and snap i had i saw the movie but i didn't remember the acronym snap i probably didn't even remember phil saviano uh but boy does that name really ring big time with me now because snap jumped in and was very helpful in the protect lds children and then protect every child uh, movement. In fact, Utah's representative for SNAP is going to be at PC, PEC week um, representing SNAP. Um, they were on various, uh, uh, when I did the news conferences here in Houston, the Houston rep came, um, uh, SNAP representative. So anyway, I was impressed with that. And he he really, they went through, he went through what happened to him mm-hmm. um, uh, that I thought it was a good, so all this stuff, I had no idea under no understanding of this, but when he's going through it, I had no understanding before protect LDS children, but after going through all that, as he's going down this, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly how it's happened. I know that's the way it happens. The grooming looking for the vulnerable kid. Well, geez, um, a bishop, a bishop's counselor, a, some, anybody else, a elders quorum president, that knows these children are going to that bishop's office and is being probed or groomed, the bishop may not think he's grooming or the bishop may know he's grooming because he is going to be um, abusing, looking for kids to abuse. Anyway, so I I thought that was pretty impressive Mm -hmm. going through the whole process that a, a predator goes through to finally get to the, uh, abusing the child. And then the results uh, that the kids um, then they make bad decisions like drugs or Mm -hmm. suicide. How many kids are not around to report this because of suicide? And that's exactly what we saw from the Bishop's interviews. How many kids was it? There's like 75% of the kids. We've got thousands of stories, like Mm -hmm. 75% of reported um, suicide ideation and uh, probably 20% said they actually tried, attempted suicide. Um, anyway, I wow. thought his character was, I, I was glad to hit, see him. It was yeah. after knowing how much his organization, the one he founded, supported our mm-hmm. movement. And even if, even if there's a <laughs> priest or a bishop or a leader who is not intentionally grooming or doesn't have any bad intentions, if they're still asking those questions, that kind of conditions 
the child to think that that's a normal thing. That's okay. So that in the future, if they do come into contact to someone that does have bad intentions, they think that that's just normal and, and the way that things are. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's why this practice, even if the leader doesn't have bad intentions, it's still a bad practice because it allows those that do to be able to take advantage of the system. I think this is just a fault of being human, I'm sure. But I feel like growing up, I always felt like, well, my experience, at least in the church, like my experience in the church is probably the the common average experience. And I think as I've gotten older and older and, and heard other people's experiences, like realized, oh, man, I really had like a very abnormal <laughs> childhood because it was fairly uneventful. Like I the idea of like a bishop asking even the questions that you're talking about, Sam, like, like I never had any bishop interview that asked anything really sexually explicit or anything even close to that. It was just, you know, do you keep the law of chastity? And that was, and that was the only question that I was ever asked by a bishop all through college. And so like all, all this, you know, is this, these, you know, new stories and sort of protect every, you know, protect, you know, LDS children and all this sort of was happening was extremely mind blowing, which is, I'm sure is, speaks to how naive I was. Well, I was naive to, uh, to yeah. blew my mind away. And Nick, what you said about, you know, I didn't have that experience. Um, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's one of the big pushbacks that maybe a lot of people in the church give as to, you know, kind of push back against the activism or, or this idea of trying to change things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that was in the movie too. Yeah. Where uh, they, I can't remember if it was a reporter or a lawyer or who said it, but the church tends, tries to paint this, that there's a few bad apples. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a few bad apples. So, it's kind of like President Hinckley a few years ago when he was asked on 60 Minutes about abuse in the church. And he said, there are a few blips here and there. No, there's not a few blips here and there. First of all, these are real people that bad things happen to. Right. There's lots of it. And in the Catholic Church, I appreciated them putting this statistic in that the expert that had uh, the, the psychiatrist who had... Mm-hmm studied for five years in the hospital that they were sending priests mm-hmm. to to get changed, um, to be treated, treated so they wouldn't do this anymore. He said that he was at he would estimate it's about six percent of the priests that do this. Well, that means 94% don't. So the vast majority of the kids are not going to have this experience. Mm-hmm. But six percent who do over and over and over, it's huge. And and I think I, I also heard, you know, responses like, well, what's happening in the LDS church isn't anything like what's happening that's happened in the Catholic church. You know, that's that's way bigger and worse. But I think any case anywhere, like if it's just the one, that's that's bad enough. So no matter where it happens, you know, that that's worth working to fix. Yeah. And yeah. so the Catholic church is so much bigger. I mean, we are a blip. Compared to the Catholic Church, yeah. just, there's no comparison at all in size. So you would expect a whole lot more problems. And that's why they would have gotten so much press over this because mm-hmm. it's gigantic. So, but proportionately, 
I would say that the Mormon church is every bit as proportional as the Catholic church because what we were fighting against was the, was the abuse, the, the child um, in uh, experiences with these sexual questions, sexual questions over and over. Um, you can't take the sacrament. You can't go to the temple. You can, you know, because you masturbated or if you happen to make out with a girl and or a couple makes out and they do certain things and then they're asking super explicit questions or even if they don't do if they've never even dated they ask super Mm -hmm. explicit questions like my daughter those questions are to almost there's a ton of kids that experience those questions the catholics don't have a practice where they're interrogated with Mm -hmm. these kind of questions so um yeah, I I would. It's just a different situation, but it mm-hmm. has been massive in the Mormon Church, and yeah, it's just been massive in the Mormon Church, mm-hmm. unfortunately. In fact, um, and you know, I'm I'm involved online in you know some ex Mormon you know communities and channels, and so you know that. I saw just on the Salt Lake Tribune just this past week um, a news story, and the the title of the news story was "Former Utah Mayor LDS Bishop Arrested After Police Say He Sexually Abused At Least Three Children." Right, and and so these these stories come out, and so I I feel like I see them on a regular basis, you know. And this right. this AP article that we're probably going to talk about, like that was one that was investigated into, but but I feel like it's something where even if it's not publicized, like there's still a steady flow of, you know, it came out that this Bishop or this young men's leader, you know, and so it's, it's something that, that you see, even if it doesn't make national associated press news, you know? Yeah. I'm sure part of that's my bias of like, I, my ears or eyes will perk up. Right. Mormons in the headline. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm reading the Salt Lake Tribune, which is going to report that more. But but yeah, that's my that's a slippery just... slope, Nick. <laughs> I know, but um, it happens often enough that even with my bias in play, like it's happening way too often. And of course, like you said, Dan, once is more than it should. Yeah. So and it does happen. I don't fully understand why it is so happens so much in churches. So you got the Catholic Church, you got the Mormon Church. But it does happen to all churches. Mm-hmm. In the in the Houston paper about a month ago, there was a big article, um, which the Houston paper, Houston Chronicle, has done a lot of investigative reporting and brought out a bunch of um, abuse that has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. So anyway, the article was that the Justice Department is now investigating uh, the Southern Baptist Convention with regards how they have facilitated mm-hmm. uh, child abuse, which hallelujah. But unfortunately it happens. It does. I don't know why the church is a breeding ground. It should be the opposite. Right. So the female reporter uh, that was on the spotlight team, uh-huh. what was her name? Uh, the actress was Rachel McAdams and she Rachel. played Sasha Pfeiffer. Was the- yep. Sasha. Okay. So um, Sasha was interviewing kids that had been abused and she interviews one, um, one kid named Joe, a gay kid. 
and who had been abused by a priest and his father, I think his father had died. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. I think his father had died. And as soon as the priest, somebody said that he said, the priest rushed over to him Mm -hmm. and to comfort him. Well, he was really rushing over to him because here's a vulnerable kid. Mm -hmm. We recognizes that he's gay um, they then start talking and the priest has a way to help him out, which that way was to play strip poker. Mm-hmm. So he'd be, get more comfortable with his body. And uh, Sasha asked for more details. Uh, he was, he just said that he was molested. Okay. After mm-hmm. they did the strip poker at some point in time, he was molested. And she said this, just saying molested, isn't enough. Mm-hmm. People need to know details. Oh my gosh. Um, and so she asked him, did he ask you for your blowjob? Yes. Did you give him a blowjob? Now we're talking about a kid to, I don't know how old this priest is. That's gross right there to even mm-hmm. talk about. So the very similar thing happened with the when we're doing the protect LDS children. We're talking about you're being asked sexually explicit questions. Well, that kind of doesn't get the message, okay? But then once you say, well, here are the sexually explicit questions. You tell Mm -hmm. me if this sounds that you want your child behind a closed door with a bishop to be asked questions like this. And you compiled a list, didn't you? Uh, And we finally published a list of 39 questions. That had been asked by to real people. Yes, yes. But the... You, you kind of you do lose it, and I was recognizing that. Just saying they're asked inappropriate questions, ask inappropriate questions that does not give you any explan exclamation mark at all. So you can ask a little girl, "Do you masturbate?" Uh, well, that right there, that should never be asked any child. How many fingers do you use? You do it over or under your panties. You mm-hmm. those kind of questions, mm-hmm. yep. and then when you get into if they've had some, have you had anal anal, anal sex? Uh, so you made out with this boy and you had sex. Did you enjoy it? What color color panties were you wearing? Um, did the boy reach uh, an orgasm? Did you reach an orgasm? How many times did he ejaculate? Where did he ejaculate? Now, these are things you hear. We're adults. Mm -hmm. These questions, just to hear them is revolting to Mm -hmm. us, to to just talk about them. Yet this is what is talked about with children all alone behind closed doors. So when when she said that, look, we need details because just saying molested is bad, but it doesn't. It, it, we need more yeah. to, to really for people to understand. It gives people the opportunity to explain away it molested could mean a whole host of things, yes. which I think, you know, like my wife is a nurse. And so one of the big things that I especially like in sort of medical community is like using a correct language with children when you're talking mm-hmm. about body parts and, and because that's, I think been a huge problem in child sex abuse cases where you know, kids don't have the language. They're not equipped with the language to talk about it in a way that's helpful to investigation. This is an American problem. Like we're very puritanical 
and our views about sex. And, and that's only get, gets more complicated when you factor in, uh, you know, very conservative religion on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I jumping back to the movie real quick. I think one of the, the strongest points of this movie is the way that it balanced everything. This is very much an investigative reporting movie. I think a lesser movie would have gotten caught up in some like personal drama of these reporters. Like we get hints of it that like their dedication is impacting their personal lives, but we don't have a whole subplot with like Mark Ruffalo's wife and their, you know, we get the hints of like separating, he's he's separating and and that's about it, you know, because he he works too much and, and she doesn't like that. I think a lesser movie would have gotten into a lot of that drama to like make it more interesting, but the subject matter of this movie is engaging on its own from the word go. Yeah. But they did a really great job of not just balancing, I think the investigative reporting, but like letting us hear, like you've been talking about Sam, like the stories of these, you know, characters who are portraying real people that were abused as children and like, and letting those moments breathe where we're getting to hear the whole truth, the, you know, the ugliness and everything. Um, When that could have easily been sort of passed over. I also think they did a really made a really smart choice in like not get like not spending too much time and sort of like giving character to the like Catholic priests and Cardinal, like they're there, but it's more about the system. Like they, I think by not like the, the, I think the instinct would have been like, we've got to humanize it. We've got to create like the Cardinal law has got to become the villain of this movie. And like, and it'd be really easy to make him a mustache twirling sort of you know, villain, but instead they were smart. And because of how the reporting panned out, it was like, this is systemic. Like, and, and that became the feeling of the movie is that like, it was just ever present, like everywhere they went, they were running into someone who well knew a little bit or knew more than they did. And had that it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that, um, transitioning maybe over to sort of the AP article a little bit. That's, I think the feeling in reading, you know, Michael Resende's reporting on the church helpline for bishops and, and other leaders in the Mormon church. That's a lot of the same feeling I'm getting is that like, like we're looking at a systemic problem. Like this, this article is about one instance of a father abusing his children. It's very horrific, but the real issue is the systemic problems behind it and the church has responded a couple with a couple responses now to that Mm -hmm. article that just seems to completely miss the point of like what everyone's upset about and that i think there was there was one line in this movie that or one moment in this movie that like really like summarized that is that um they're talking to one of the lawyers who had information and he was sort of saying like it would be unethical for me to talk about this as a lawyer and and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> frustrated because it's like it's unethical, it's for, you unethical not... <laughs> for you to not talk about it. Yeah. Like to not expose this would be yeah. more unethical. And I think Sam, you were sort of alluding to that too, of like that sometimes I think, you know, within the church, like the the expose of things that are ugly about the truth is worse than the thing itself in the church's mind. That protecting the good name of the church is is the most important thing. And, and I think this, this movie really hit home that idea, like I, from the Catholic point of view, what that looks like. And I think this AP article that, and we're sort of just seeing, I think the tip of the iceberg of sort of what's going to come from this is doing the same thing. 
Yeah. Turner, I'd be curious, Sam, what you think about, and we'll we'll link in the show notes to the AP article and and the church's response and but but curious what you're thinking with your your point of view and experience. Michael Keaton is talking to his friend that's a lawyer mm-hmm. for the Catholic Church, trying to get him to say, look, yes, I can verify that all these priests have abused kids. Um, and it was a tense scene. Um, and uh, the lawyer said, I was just doing my job. And Keaton responded, yeah, you and everybody else, they're mm-hmm. just doing their job. Art, the Mormon church lawyers, uh, Curtin and McConkie, well, they could say the same thing. They're just doing their job. Um, the bishop and stake president just doing their job. The whole high council just, just no, wait a minute, wait a minute. They all know that these kids are being abused. They continue to be abused for six years. You've got a whole community that knows about it, but everybody has is just doing their job and and the kids just continue. No, that can't be the way we approach mm-hmm. this. And that's why it's about systems. Right? Yes, right. it's the system. Yeah, it just it the article really floored me when you're looking at how many people know about this. Mm-hmm. The first bishop, the second bishop, uh, did his counselors know, the whole high council knows. Um, is it two state presidents know? And then the lawyers know. Um, <laughs> and then the helpline people on the on the phone. Yeah, I mean, they, right. that's right. The, the, those are the, the lawyers. You, you've yeah. got this helpline and they're helping everybody. Well, no, they're, I don't think they're helping anybody. They think they are. They're trying to protect the church, but they're not protecting the church. But one thing they didn't do, they didn't protect the vulnerable children in that home. Um, you know, it's it's important to, I think, maybe just point out that distinction where, you know, the movie and the Protect Every Child, Protect LDS Children movement <clears throat> was about, you know, the leadership of the church. This new article was about a dad, you know, with his children. And so, you know, some people would like want to pick nits about that, but it's, you know, it's it's still the leadership that's you know, it's, it's, it's more about protecting the name of the church, right? I think that's that's the common yeah. denominator right. that we want to bring out. Like you were saying, Sam, the, the lawyers are doing their job. And I think in their minds, it's when someone comes in and confesses, but what is the minimum requirement that the law says we have to do? And if and and that that's sort of where the church's nitpicking is coming down to, it feels like, is saying that, look, we, we weren't required. We're saying we weren't required yeah. to report yeah. this. And and from my point of view, and I think lots of people's point of view is like, who cares what you were re- required to do? Yeah. Like, it's more about what was the right thing to do. And and that's, you know, a, a system of worrying about something that is no way connected to the victims and the, the vulner- vulnerable children in this and other cases where we're fretting about, you know, what the lawyers at the helpline are telling us. And like, I just can't imagine being in that position where like, I'm that concerned about what, what the helpline says. Mm -hmm. And, and, but I, I've never been in a bishopric. Like I, you know, I, so I, I don't have that experience, but that's, that's a, the like frustrating thing from my point of view. It's just that, yeah, it's like, why would that be your chief concern when you've got children you know, being abused. 
So that's why that statement about if it takes a village to raise a child, takes a village to abuse them. Mm -hmm. There was a whole village allowing the abuse of that children, that child to happen. It was really interesting to me um, to see responses of some of my friends who are believing members of the church on social media reacting to um, this, this AP article. And I had a lot of friends who, you know, believing members of the church who were kind of disappointed and disgusted with the church's response mm-hmm. and um, kind of let down because it seemed like, you know, it'd be a lot easier to say, yeah, we messed up. We missed something. This is terrible. Let's try to figure out a better way moving forward. But they didn't do that. Right. It was all about trying to cover for everything that had been done instead of, you know, acknowledging. Yeah. This is like PR 101. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like everyone knows what the right moral thing to do is. And so it's, yeah, it's just so disappointing. Even though like, I'm, you know, not an active member of the church anymore. Like it's just so disappointing, even from my point of view that the church knowing this is probably how they're going to respond. And yep, that's exactly. And, and it, and it took them a while. It. it took them a while to come out with an official statement because, yeah. you know, of course it probably had to be reviewed by lawyers and the top leaders of the church, you know, instead of just, you know, a speedy, yeah, correct response. So that, and the other thing, one, one of the article, I think the first one they came out with, maybe the second one was they tried to um, smear the article. Mm-hmm. Oh man, they have gaping holes. They got this wrong, that wrong as a, and when they said that, I'm looking at, well, I don't see the gaping holes, right? <laughs> but that's what they're trying to blame the, AP, as opposed to take the the real, if somebody missed a few things, well, fine. But the children being abused, that is the gigantic, everything pales to that. And right. this thing of trying to demean somebody or smear the reputation, the, gar- the lawyer that was representing um, the 80 kids, mm-hmm. he said, this is a really hard road to hoe. Um, the church, you're fighting the church. And they, they'll smear your reputation. They've tried to get me disbarred on multiple occasions. Now, when he said that about they'll smear your reputation, you know, the church excommunicated me. Just think about the reputation in the Mormon church of somebody that's been excommunicated. Mm -hmm. Your mind immediately goes to, yeah, he's done something really bad. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if I had a chance to talk with everybody, is yes, I did something really bad in the Mormon church's eyes, which is. I spoke out against a policy that I that we have proof is damaging children. Okay, but that's called apostasy, and so that's the worst. Anyway, so they they before the excommunication, I had a better place to talk to members of the church. But once that happened, there's a lot of people. Oh, he's ex he's an excommunicated guy. They can't they can't trust your word. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the, the Catholic church had uh, that apparently was in their playbook too. Mm-hmm. And there's one line in the, in the movie that struck me and he said, I think it was the, that same lawyer. And he's like the, the Catholic church thinks in centuries, you know, yes. so that's kind of uh-huh. how they, how they play their cards is dealing with this. So. Yeah. What's, what's the solution? Like what can the church do or individuals? Or individual, like, I guess let's, let's talk about it, but like, what's uh, the individual, what, what can they do? 
but also if you could get the church to do anything like what what would be your recommendation uh well i've got a few recommendations uh one would be to put into place state-of-the-art child protection policies uh, they still have one-on-one behind closed door interviews. Mm-hmm. They still allow bishops to ask any sexually explicit question they want to ask. The change that we elicited was that if the child wants to have a second person in that interview, they can ask for a second person in that interview. Now that sent a message to smart parents that, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm in that interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's still most of the interviews. Now, it's there still are, not a requirement, right? They're not a requirement right. at all. And so that so do that. OK, number two, uh, that that is a gigantic one because it causes so much shame. Grooms kids for the real pedophiles or grooms kids for the bishop. Um, we know there have been lots and lots and lots of bishops who were pedophiles. Um, OK. Most bishops are not. 6% yeah. of the Catholic priests were. I don't know what the percentage is for Mormons, but I know it's a percentage that you don't want to take a risk with. Right, yeah. Um, can, Mormon can I jump in yeah. real quick on that? Like while we're talking about interviews, like putting on my believing member hat of like, what would you say to the members who who say like, you know, ha- having a second adult in there or having a parent in like, maybe a child needs to talk about like they, they want, they have a a bishop that's good that they trust. They've got to want to talk about abuse from their parent. And now the parents coming in, it's not one-on-one like that. There's that there is value to a one-on-one interview where a, 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 you know, a child or teenager can have a trusted relationship, someone one-on-one they can get help from. Well, if the concern is, that you can learn of sexual abuse that's happening um, from the child. Well, first of all, I think that's a wonderful thing that we would like, you start there. We would like to have a way for the children to speak up about their abuse. Um, that doesn't happen very often. And in the movie, they, they indicated why mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very often. Right. It'd be nice. But, Nobody says anything like that. Could they give you, could they give the kid a hotline? Here's the hotline. If there's any abuse, here's a number that they can call mm-hmm. um, or have a specialist that a person can talk. The church has how much money? Um, if a kid wants to talk to a bishop about something, get that expert in there with the bishop, but do not do it alone. Cause as soon as you have, you say, look, we want to allow kids to come in and talk to us all alone. Well, then you've opened up the all alone door. Mm-hmm. Again. Um, so I, I think it's a, a valid reason thing that we should do, uh, have a mechanism for children to be able to raise the issues of abuse, but not one-on-one. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be a parent. It could be a young men's leader, young women's leader, that's in there with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, just as long as it's not the one-on-one. Yeah. Right. And I think you made a good point of like the training and that, that goes behind dealing with these issues, you know, bishops receive very little to no training yeah. on, on issues about abuse and, and, you know, you wouldn't go into your dentist to, con- to talk about abuse, you, you know, and your bishop might be, the dentist or the local mechanic or, you know, so I think that's a, that's a good distinction too. 
Anyway, continue. Okay, so another one is to have background checks for anybody who works with children. Now, uh, Pennsylvania, there are two states in in the country that require background checks. One is Pennsylvania. They've had that for, I don't know, a few years, several years. And so the church has required background checks Mm -hmm. um, for people that work with um, children. Good for them. California just barely implemented that. Mm -hmm. The church is now... um, uh, you know, put out the plans and type pilot programs. How can we live, uh, abide by the law? That's good. Rather than having California and Pennsylvania, the only place you do background checks, church, take ownership of protecting your children and put this into place everywhere where you have background checks. Um, there is also a recent story where an elder quorum president in I don't know, Minnesota or um, Wisconsin, somewhere up there. He was a a registered sex sex offender in Utah. Well, he left Utah, moved up there. They called him his elder scorn president. Well, guess what he does? He abuses one of the kids. Um, So anyway, do a universal, do background checks for all the the folks that are working with children. Mm -hmm. Number three, we had been... um, requesting, uh, recommending, have training um, for everybody that works with children. Well, I will credit the Mormon church with having implemented a um, a training. Now, frankly, to me, it doesn't look like it's very serious for training. Uh, mm-hmm. I took the training. I think it took me like 21 minutes to mm-hmm. take the training. You're not going to get any comprehensive stuff in that. The scouting program, they've got a wonderful training program with regards to um, preventing sex abuse and recognizing abuse and what you should do if you know about it. Um, but so uh, they really need to do a professional thing on that. Um, okay. I can give you some more recommendations, but there's three or four. Right? That's good a, start, yeah, I that's think. a good top three. I, I have a question for you, Sam. Uh, remind me what years you were bishop? 91 to 96. So I think if I read right, didn't the helpline come out in 95? Yes, it did. D- did you yeah. have any stories or about how that was introduced to you? Yeah, I can remember the bishop's training session where they, and there were several other topics on it. There was no training session just for that. But that might have been a 10-minute discussion during that bishop's training but uh let me just say that when they announced it, i thought oh that sounds so good um because i don't if you're not untrained as a bishop you're right. not trained in anything so i haven't fa- faced um sex abuse issues turned out i kind of had but you know i wasn't attuned to it um but when they announced that, I'm thinking, boy, if there's a serious case of child abuse, I don't know what to do. And there's some play, some a lawyer I can call in Salt Lake City. And they specifically said it was a lawyer. Um, uh, and he'll walk you through what you can do. Now, I didn't know the back end that they want to get a heads up. And if they had any liability that they want to fly out here and silence the victim and everybody else that's involved. Um, but uh, at the time... I, it was a relief to me to hear that. Well, in theory, it's a good idea if it's, you know, doing what it's supposed to be doing, you know? 
Well, what it's supposed to be doing, I think it's doing what it's supposed to be oh, well. doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah, that's a good purpose. There's two but... ways to look at that. Well, man. yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And but, in the, but, but in, like you in, said. No, in Spotlight, they did mention that, that uh-huh. uh, the Catholic Church, when they hear about abuse case, they want to get to that person first to silence them. Because um, if it's any leader in the church, I think it may, I can't remember who it was that he was telling the story about, but the people were willing to talk. But as soon as the church got to him, they were not willing to talk. Yeah, him. now I have no recollection of, yeah. That, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Dan and I've been talking about watching Spotlight and talking about it on, on this podcast, probably since the beginning of us like starting this podcast. And then this AP article just like was the kick in the pants. I think we needed to like how oh, we should actually get going look on at it. this, you know, yeah, and because it, it felt felt very relevant and and timely. And one of the things that we talked earlier about was, you know, the the reporters kept talking about people that they like. Um, oh, what was his name? Started the snap. Phil um, That's it. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like that he had sort of an axe to grind. He wanted to wage like a holy war against the Catholic church. And, you know, that, that, and, or sort of, oh, you're, you know, lapsed Catholic pissed at the church, sort of that mentality. When, when stuff like this comes out, I'm always put in a, an awkward position because it feels like now that people know I'm not active, sharing this article has comes with baggage <laughs> like you know that like that i you, i'm going to talk about it in a way that is the angry ex-mormon you know wanting to see the church burn down or whatever you know they talk about the the um psychiatrist who was like a former priest who had married a nun who had done all this research into these priests who abused children um i think it was mark ruffalo's character was talking to him saying like do you still go to mass like are you still like a believing Catholic. And he was like, I don't go to church, but yeah, like I still believe. And I think that at the very least, like speaking to maybe the active believing Mormon, this is an issue that I think we all can get on the same page on. <laughs> like This is one that we should all agree on. Any other thoughts? Well, so here's my final thought is totally off the topic we've been um, okay. uh-huh. going on, but it was part of the movie. And mm-hmm. that was the music. So there's kind of a, a theme music that kept recurring. And I felt like this is haunting. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's reflective. Does it have a reflective thing of, you know, causing you to think about things? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and this was the odd part of the music, I would describe it as it felt like mysterious wonder, just a feeling of wonder. I thought, why would they be, why am I reading that into the music too? That just a wonder and awe that's mysterious. Um, but that's the way I kind of interpreted the music and I didn't. So, and and that was, I'd heard it as I went along, but then during the credits, I, I watched the entire movie, including the credits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I got to think about uh, the music. Nice. Okay. <laughs> No, I totally agree. Cause when they, like I, it had been very subtle. Like I, I didn't pay attention to the music. It wasn't in, in your face uh, for yeah. most of this movie, but yeah, once those credit hits there, the credits hit, it was very like, Oh, like this is making me sit and like, like giving me the space to sort of think about yeah. what did I just watch? You know, yeah, exactly. It, 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 the music welcomed that sort of reflection. Oh, and that list of cities at the end. Right. Oh, yeah. Didn't, wasn't that like a gut punch? 
Yeah. Where it was like, well, might have might have been easier to list the cities where it was not uncovered. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know? Um, right. Well, I because, stopped yeah, it during the credits and went back to see, now, isn't Houston on there? Houston wasn't on there. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we're not, uh, maybe we don't have a big enough Catholic community. <laughs> maybe not. Um, Sam, uh, we spoke a week or two ago, kind of setting this up. And you gave me, you talked about a couple of movies that you um, really enjoyed that kind of resonated maybe with your, your faith journey. And I wondered if you would um, be able to share those with us here, because I think that'd be um, just as far as some recommendations, maybe recommendations. Well, I, I, I can jog your memory if you don't remember what you said to me. Well, I know my all-time favorite movie, uh-huh. but I've never found anybody that's seen it. Uh-huh. Uh, can you tell you about that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So my all-time favorite movie, I mean, Spotlight's really good. It won Best mm-hmm. Picture. The other one just won a bunch of awards, but not Best Picture, is a movie called The Night of the Iguana. Um, I I have heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. Oh my gosh. But at it, least you've heard of it. Yeah. 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 So that's my favorite. Um, talk about things to reflect on. Uh, oh my God. Just fascinating story. Um, it's a, it's a, it's fiction, um, but it's uh, Tennessee. Tennessee Williams was the playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Houston was the director, uh, Richard Burton and some other famous actors. Uh, of that time, but it's a black and white film that turns most people off. Um, but okay. So what are the movies that I mentioned? I think you mentioned, was it, um, hateful eight? No. Oh, now, no. Or what was it? It was, no. it was another number one. Yeah. Um, what was it? Six. The magnificent, magnificent seven. seven. Yeah, Magnificent. I get I get all those number ones mixed. Yeah, up. <laughs> so that came out, and I remember as a kid, um, there was a Magnificent Seven with Yul Brenner. Mm-hmm. Um, that naked boob was shown in that movie <laughs> uh, <laughs> for about a second. Um, so that made an impression as a kid. But that was my dad's one of my dad's favorite movies. So we got to see that one. But uh, this. Uh, movie i was watching while we're in the throes of, you know deep in all the stuff was going on to protect the children it really was kind of a scary time um do you stand up do you do this what's going to happen uh do i have can i do i dare do this do i dare do that and uh so that had some stuff that was said and i don't remember what it is this time but it really was for me very inspiring the folks that were willing, willing to stand up to protect what was dear to them. Right. Yeah. Now nobody else might get, get any message about that, but I sure did. <laughs> so uh, two other movies that I really like, and they resonate with something that's inside me that, that draws me to these concepts. One was, uh, Oh, the movie about John Nash, uh, beautiful mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. It's bringing tears to my, my eyes. And that was friendship. There was somebody in that movie that was a friend to John Nash all the way through. I think it was a university professor. Mm-hmm. I bawled. I, I was so embarrassed in that movie because I was bawling. My throat hurt so bad because I had to control not yelling out, not hysterically yelling with the, the crying. And so not hysterically crying. But what really, really touched me was the friendship. 
that somebody would stand, would remain a friend for all the crappy stuff that, that John Nash did. And I read the book. They didn't put the really bad stuff. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> um, so he, um, but he had a friend that stood by him, um, not to say what you're doing is right, but just to love him. And that mm-hmm. was really touching. Mm-hmm. Um, loving somebody that's in a bad place and then everybody else wants to throw away. And the other one was Saving Private Ryan. And so there's a lot of movies that have a um, theme of doing doing something noble. Taking on a noble cause. Now, the noble cause that he took on, he was assigned to do that. He didn't look around and pick it. He was picked for it, but he... He it was a noble cause what he was doing. And there's a lot of other movies and forever. You know, I've told my wife that after a while, I realized you know, there's two things that <clears throat> I'm drawn to that one, a friend that is friend with somebody that everybody else has thrown away. Well, I've had that experience um, uh, with somebody that was my friend, still is a good friend. Um, uh I met him here in Houston. He was a return missionary. When I moved down here we, while we were single for that year that I was single. Um, but he, some things happened. Uh, he was gay. Uh, he told me one night in the car, when after we'd gone to see a movie or something, said, Sam, I just want to tell you, I love you. Now we tell people, I love you, Daniel. That's a lot different than the message he gave to me, which I and romantically and that's the first time i recognize him as being gay uh he and he had lots of challenges in the church because he was open about things he actually worked for the church for 20 years and that was anyway so i've had the friendship thing but this thing of being involved in the noble cause um when when i was about to do the <clears throat> uh that three-week fast um, my wife didn't want me to do it. She was supportive for about two weeks and then uh, really got angry that I was going to do that. I think she was scared. <laughs> what happens to you if you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. can you be damaged for life? And um, we talked about <clears throat> why I wanted to do it. And uh, there were two things I told her. One that, uh, we talked about Jesus Christ our entire lives. <clears throat> and I don't even know if I believe in God. That's not that important right now. But the teachings of Jesus Christ, his example of standing up for the vulnerable. It's an opportunity to really do that when it's a scary time to do that, when there are consequences for doing that. And the other reason, honey, I want to do this is, you know, over decades that every time we see a movie that a noble cause is, <clears throat> is a theme, it has touched my heart. And uh, so this is my opportunity to follow Christ, <clears throat> to fulfill a calling I've felt of doing something noble. So anyway, that uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan would be a big example of that. Okay, you ought to cut the last 10 minutes here. <laughs> no, never. 
We that's Thank, we got a whole bonus that. there, not just spotlight. We got a couple other movies <laughs> as a little bonus here. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing. I think, like you're saying, Dan, you know, we've barely scratched the, scratched the surface of sort of these topics, and so definitely go check the show notes for links to other articles and um, that you can learn more about Sam and protect every child, but also just sort of what we've been talking about. Hey, well, I've enjoyed this half hour that we've just spent uh, almost two hours. <laughs> yeah. And nice to meet you, Nick. And yeah. always yeah. great to reconnect with you, Dan. Yeah, that was great. So, thanks so much for joining us. I think I think this was really special and um, I think it was really meaningful. So thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. See you guys on the next episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Postmormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time.